Amen. Amen. Let's get ready to rumble! Start rumbling. <laughs> that, that introduction uh, is typical of sporting events, usually basketball games. Uh, it's, a, it's the beginning of a song that, that they use to introduce basketball players a lot. And I've always wondered to myself, rumble? Why rumble? I have since learned that it's a slang term for a, uh, a street fight between gangs. I don't know what that says about the NBA, but anyway, I always thought that was a, an interesting word to use. I start with that because the, the basis for this sermon has to do with the meanings of words. Words mean things, certain things, and not everything. Otherwise, how could we even begin to hope to communicate at all, right? So I'm going to start with uh, a verse from Genesis and um, kind of build out what, what we've always known, what we've always said we believe, but which gets awfully lost anymore because there aren't very many people saying it. Thankfully, we get to hear it a lot here, but I wanted us to be reminded of the truth since that gets assaulted a lot. The verse is Genesis 1, 27, and it says, And God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. It's a very simply worded sentence. Sometimes I like to watch my wife diagram sentences. She likes doing it so much that she actually took sentence diagramming as an elective in college. She is even brave enough to take on some of Paul's sentences, which if you've ever tried to diagram a sentence, Paul is not where you want to start. Some of Paul's sentences go for pages. Anyway, simply worded sentence. It deals with gender identities that have been fairly stable and predictable across cultures and times until recently. Our enemy has caused a great deal of confusion about what it means to be a man or a woman and has uh, corrupted our use of these words in our culture. Dave Fox mentioned the corruption of language when he talked about the meaning of what word? Do you remember? Gay as well as Messiah. He mentioned both of those and went into some detail about the meaning of the word Messiah. Bill Sullivan talked about the corruption of language last week. And this particular message was given to me before either of those two came. So again, we have the same Holy Spirit working in all of these people. Amen. So in the midst of the difficulties of this life, because life is hard, we remember the words of Peter who said, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. It's interesting that he would say it that way. So this issue of the meanings of words with regard to gender definition is what I'm going to focus on today. It's one of the most controversial in our culture and one of the primary battlegrounds for truth currently in the world. 
Now, I submit that only a designer has the authority to choose the purpose and function of what is designed. Federal law stipulates punishments for the crime of using an item for a purpose other than what it's intended for. The item design does not have a greater right than the designer to choose its purpose or function. The clay does not have the right to argue with the potter. And yet, how many of us have ever been guilty of arguing with the potter? But even apart from God's authority, God's image, all of those truths that we have from his word, most people will admit not only to the differences between men and women, but to the complementary nature of marriage and the unique abilities and callings of masculinity and femininity. Even non-believers affirm some of the truth about this issue. We believers, however, have much more to work with. We have God's word directly to men and women, telling us where we came from, who we are, and what we are expected to do. Remember from um, Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye says, Every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Dun, 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 dun. Good. You remember that music. It's good stuff. So, let us review the feminine and masculine aspects of humanity according to God's design. And let us celebrate his wisdom, his kindness, and his amazing creativity. Worshiping the creator as creation was always meant to do. I'll start with the creation of each of these creatures, then describe their unique and complementary designs and purposes, and then their major areas of temptation. And then we will pray. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Male and female, he created them. And God made the man. <laughs> yes! Uh, oog! Right? No, God didn't make the bully with all brawn and no brain or kindness. Not the annoying little brother who pushes buttons for his own amusement. Not the pale, twisted despot with no grasp on reality. That is not who God made. God made a creature so much like himself and so beloved that Satan knew he could never compete. He's been furious ever since at God's workmanship. Genesis 2, 20 through 22 says, So Adam gave names to all the creatures, but... For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him or suitable for him. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And men have been trying to get away with napping ever since, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then God created woman. Mm-mm. No, not the beefy muscle head on the MMA circuit, not the evil manipulating witch in the castle, not the fearful needy victim who never grows strong. No. God created a being so beautiful that I think Satan went mad with jealousy. Mirror, mirror on the wall. 
and the jealous nature of the counterfeit beauty has its basis in the story of the creation of woman. For our enemy targeted the woman specially in order to harm both her and the man so that God would be grieved for kicking Satan out. Human history tells the tale of this spiritual rivalry. So that's what God made. And this is a little bit about how he put some of himself into each one. 1 Corinthians 11, 7 through 9 says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. As men, we like to be the first, don't we? The first to arrive, the first to break the ground, the first to invent whatever it is, the first to do the impossible, to raise the bar. We're competitive. I'm even more competitive than some of you. (laughs) Thank you. We seek to outdo ourselves and each other in doing new things, using new ways. We were made tough. Able to withstand the harshness of the wild in the world long enough to tame a piece of it and make it safe for our families so that they don't have to be tough to survive so they can focus on thriving instead. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Wrestle it to the ground and hogtie it, if you like. And I'm telling you, men, when you have to get up early in the morning, you have to go start the fires and check on the cattle and start the car and scrape the car. Can I get an amen for scraping the car after these last two weeks? Wow. That's us. That's what we do. And up until recently, we were all really proud of being called to do it. We still can be. We feel at home outdoors. The challenge of the wild still calls to us. That's why we like getting high-powered artillery and going out and vaporizing some deer. We love tools and building. Daddy Legos is what I call the stuff I do in my basement. We love exploring, taming, and making productive the world God gave us as a rental. That's right. And with the advent of sin, we are needed more than ever to set boundaries of safety and enforce them on creation so that this world does not succeed in destroying itself. Like kudzu. Are you familiar with kudzu? Hmm. How about um, Bermuda grass? Anybody garden? Oh, my word. Bermuda grass is not your friend. And it just doesn't stop, even in the winter around here. Hmm. So the natural world also requires our disciplining. So too do our families, our churches, and other organizations. Men were made to enforce, to use authority and power as it was always meant to be used. That cop who pulls you over is supposed to make you nervous. Because breaking the law is wrong and should be punished. It's important to God's message that men embody this image. Man was made to fight, 
and to overcome. Just as Jesus fought against sin, death, and our enemy and overcame. Amen. Men still wage the long war against evil, injustice, dishonesty, cheating, bullying, and the abuse of power. We wage it inside our own hearts, in our homes, in our jobs, in our churches, and in our society. We are called to pay the price for others, to sacrifice as Jesus sacrificed, to suffer that others may avoid suffering. One of our favorite songs from the group Go Fish um, says, put your armor on and take one in the chest. That's us. We kill the pests. We answer the door. We make the phone call. We talk to the neighbor. We confront the offenders. We don't back down from conflict or opposition. We rise to challenges as Jesus rose to the challenge of our sin and helplessness. We take responsibility. We break out of old ways to make something new and impossible. We don't look back or second guess. We take action. We are initiators, defenders. The buck, Tom, stops with us because we reflect the God who took responsibility for all of creation's faults and didn't blink an eye at the challenge. God told man to be fruitful and multiply, just as God created offspring like himself. Families are the way everyone becomes fully developed members of the human race. Maturing, learning, finding their strengths, learning their history, belonging, and being appreciated. Finding a meaningful identity in a larger community. Without men as fathers and sons, brothers, uncles, grandfathers, nephews, and cousins, families fall apart. Men create the structure, the bones of society, the frame for the life of the home. And as leaders, we set the tone for the whole organization. And man took one look at woman and knew immediately that she was made for him, just for him, that she had come from him to be with him, that nothing in all the universe was as fitting for him as she was. Paul affirms in 1 Corinthians 11 that the woman was made for man, just as Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, to be a blessing, a help, a relief and comfort in the wild of the world. Remember that Eve was made in the garden. Adam was made in the wilderness outside the garden. Eve was so made that man would not be alone, and women have been the artists of relationships ever since. As men, we sometimes tend to isolate, to build higher walls between kingdoms. So God, in his wisdom and kindness, designed women to bring people together, to look past differences to what we have in common, to help us connect with each other. Women are able to learn almost everything that men can do and are sometimes called upon to take their place for a time when the man is lost, dies, or is away. And yet... There are so many jobs and callings that only a woman can do well. Here are some examples from God's word. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And when they ran out of wine, 
The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, when you're at a party, who do you expect to be keeping track of things like this? When I'm at a party, I ain't keeping track of who's got the wine. I'm busy eating or talking or whatever. My wife, though, she knows how many of that thing there is left and whether that needs to be refilled and whether that thing's out of place. She's got it all. She's keeping track of all of it. It's amazing. My mother used to just blow my mind. She would make me tired just watching her because she would have the radio on, be talking on the phone, cooking supper, doing laundry, and writing notes about something else all at the same time. And I just, I can't do that. I'm not even going to try. It's probably a good thing I don't try. (laughs) Jesus answered his mother and he said, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Literal translation of that, I've seen it in several different Bibles. It says literally, what to you and to me? Like, what? Why are you telling me this? And yet... She doesn't buy it. She's his mother. Maybe there was something about him, maybe some twinkle in his eye or some smirk at the corner of his mouth that nobody else noticed, but maybe she did. She was the one who kept all these things in her heart. You remember that coming up several times in the Gospels around Jesus' birth? Mary's a thinker. Besides, she's a Jewish mama. Right? Now, she doesn't get in his face, but she does the next best thing. She goes to the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it, or you will have me to mess with. (laughs) Maybe she didn't threaten him quite like that, but you know how it is with Jewish mamas, right? Mama comes to you and says, you didn't. Yes, ma'am. She had faith that Jesus would do something. Didn't know what it was. He didn't give her any indication that he was going to do anything at all, did he? Sounded like he was telling her the opposite. She believed anyway. And she believed so much that she made preparations for what he said he wasn't going to do. Interesting. And then she got others to share in that same faith, didn't she? Be ready, because when he tells you to do something, be ready to do it. So interesting. Now, me being a man, if Jesus had said, my time has not yet come, I'd be like, okay, getting a book, kicking back, you know. Being the literal person that I am. One of the beautiful things about communication between a man and a woman. <laughs> we don't do it the same way, do we? Mm-hmm. I was talking with Josiah the other day about how I wish I could just remember one thing. It would help my communication with my wife so much if I could just remember that she's not me. You'd think that would be obvious, right? We've been married 20, almost 22 years now. I look at her every day, and and I don't see myself when I look at her. (laughs) But when I talk to her, 
I forget that she doesn't think like I do and doesn't use words the same way that I do or at the same time. Women are so good at things like sorting out logistics, processing this incredible amount of information as things happen around them. It's what makes them such good moms. Can you, I mean, I have tried. I have tried being the only parent in the house for several hours at a time. And when my wife gets back from wherever she is, I am exhausted. My brain is panting on the floor. And I feel like I did pretty good. It ain't nothing to what she can do. My goodness, all the things she keeps up with for all of our kids and all the household every single day. I get tired thinking about it. Women also have this relational discernment that sometimes escapes men. They can sense things. And they all know their own families like nobody else. God made women to be the glue in the family, the emotional diffuser in the home. The missing piece that helps to make a great man, a great family, and a strong church and society. 1 Samuel 25 is the story of Abigail, verses 2 through 35. You remember this story? She became one of David's first six wives. Can't remember which number she was, but anyway. She goes to great lengths. Most of that story is her talking to David. She uses a lot of words. A lot. David and his men are marching along and they got their swords out. Probably with the point, I mean, they are just about ready to charge Nabal's house and she comes and throws herself in front of them and just talks and 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 talks. And, talks. and it works. There's a time for that, isn't there? She manages to persuade focused, determined David. You remember this is the guy who took on Goliath when everybody told him it couldn't be done, and especially that he couldn't do it. He was focused through that whole story. Nothing dissuaded him. This is that David. And then here comes Abigail. And she dissuades him, changes his mind in the space of a few verses. No small feat. Actually, I don't know what size her feet were, but anyway. Um, she, she manages to spare her household slaughter because of this. And she's smart. She also brings lots of food. She sends it first. There was a, a time where Amy and I knew each other, but we weren't together. And uh, I happened to sit down across from her at the cafeteria one time. I was not there to talk. I'd had a long day. I was tired. I was very hungry. And I piled my plate two layers, my tray two layers high. And I, I noticed it was her. And so when I sat down, I'm not even sure if I looked at her, but I said to her, if your man ever comes home after a long day and he's tired, just feed him. And then I proceeded to eat. And I was dead to the world, you know. And she looked at me with this appalled, shocked, indignant look and thought to herself, where do you get off telling me how to treat my husband? Little did we both know. If you remember in the book of Joshua chapter 2, Rahab, 
makes a similar kind of plea to the spies at Jericho. Now, she's got more bargaining chips than Abigail did because she just saved their lives. But she says, I need something. Don't kill me. Don't kill my father. Because I know. She knew. Somehow she knew. Somehow she understood about the God of the Israelites that they were there to wipe everyone out. But she talks to them. She begs and asks and pleads like Abigail did. And they listen. And then there's Esther. She's got nothing to work with, at least not in the way of bargaining chips. The king has even said, I don't want to see anybody for a whole month. I don't know what kind of a king he was, but anyway, that's what he said. So she's like, I'm risking my life going in here, but if I don't, I'm guaranteeing this slaughter of all my people. So pray for me. They fasted, prayed for three days. She put on some nice clothes, and she staggered in there. At least she probably felt like she was staggering. And miracle of miracles, the king holds out the scepter. Esther. He's probably thinking, eh, it's good to see her again. <laughs> the right woman with the right skills. The right message in the right place at the right time. And history was made in a uniquely feminine way. And then there's Ruth. She was devoted to her helpless mother-in-law, though it cost her everything. She makes a plea. And God comes through using Boaz. And then there's, in 2 Kings chapter 5, this very short little bit about Naaman, the Syrian general. He's not even a Jew. But he's kidnapped a Jew. And God uses it to do something amazing. This servant girl taken in a raid. She's in exile. Not even helping out her own people. But she says to Naaman's mistress, Oh, he needs to go to Israel. I know somebody there. There's a man of God. He can get healing. What a heart. That whole loving your enemies thing. That's taking it to a whole new level. Women are the comforters, the soothers, the planners and communicators, the playful and lively, the gracious and dignified. These are the women we admire. We admire them for their patience, especially with men, for their long forbearance, particularly with children, and for their great devotion to their families, though it costs them and changes them in the process. So now that we have the design, let's talk about some purpose. Genesis chapter 3, after the, the sin of Adam and Eve, God says to them, what have you done? Because he's given them things to do, hasn't he? Fill the earth and subdue it, be fruitful and multiply, tend the garden. That was why he brought Adam there. And then he says, what have you done? God committed his one rule. One, to the man. And then when he brought the woman to man to be protected, that included the teaching of the rule. Throughout Scripture, men are charged with the remembering, the preserving, 
the modeling and the passing on of God's laws, rules, lessons, and guidance as priests, scribes, prophets, judges, and kings. Without men passing on what God has given us, the young do not learn in safety. They learn in the harshness of the wild in the world. They do not have the affirmation, the encouragement, the inspiration of their fathers to help them. They don't have the truth of God's law to protect them. They're easy prey for the enemy, and they learn to wound as they have been wounded. To give up, to be afraid, to trust no one, not even themselves, and especially not men or the God who made them. And man was not meant to be alone. God said that. Rogues and renegades and lone wolves are glorified in the media, but real men are a part of a team. Even Jesus needed time with his Father in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he calls us to the same company. Man needs his creator, and he needs other men to help him through the hard times, help him accomplish his calling, and to watch his back while he completes his quest. How many times, if you've ever watched a war movie or a cop drama TV show, how many times has somebody said, cover me while I go do this thing? You've got to have your partner covering you. And God gave man a woman as his partner. And during a man's nap, God created the other half of his great message to the world, the message of God's love for his people. This message is lived out in every marriage between a man and a woman. Men are designed to embody God's undying, unfailing, unconditional love for his people, even though we can't earn it, don't deserve it, and don't really return his love very well. Men were made to love their wives like that. Our love for our wives, especially when we don't feel loving or when they aren't easy to love, confirms God's great faithfulness in his love for us. His forgiveness, compassion, and gentleness are made tangible in the same actions a man shows his wife. This is why a man's faithfulness is so important because it trains all of us for God's faithfulness. How can we relate to a father apart from the fathers who begot us? And our relationship with woman includes a relationship with a mother through whom we learn respect, obedience, manners, proper behavior affirmation of our manhood and pride in our identity in Christ. A godly mother usually creates devoted children, and this is the model for the church. As the bride of Christ, we are to create devoted sons and daughters, grateful and loyal, connected to Christ as their head. God's charge to man to be fruitful and multiply requires the woman in order to be fulfilled. Woman was built physically to bear children and protect them inside her very body for nine months, or nine months and and. Every mother has a special bond with each child for which they sacrifice their time, their bodies, and their attention. As far as the attention part goes, it, it never goes away, does it, moms? 
You talk to any mom, and they have thought about their kid in the last few minutes, probably. God gave woman extra sensitive awarenesses beyond that of man, so that as protectors of the unborn, woman could avoid anything that might bring harm to the helpless. Women are uniquely positioned to advocate for their own. There were times uh, when Amy was pregnant that she would ask me to taste things before she ate them because she didn't want to eat anything that would be harmful. Now, I don't know why she asked me because my taste buds are not real sensitive. I'll eat a lot of things, a lot of things. Sometimes she still asks me, I'm not, why do you do that? Why do you (laughs) use me to test food? It's not... (laughs) You guys seen the movie Ratatouille? It's a Pixar animated. It's a rat with an extra sensitive nose, and so they start bringing all their food right past him all day, every day, to make sure they're not eating poison, and he gets really bored really fast. Proverbs chapter 8 and 9, there's an interesting personification there. Wisdom is personified as a woman. I wisdom dwell with prudence and discretion. In um, Pilgrim's Progress, I think, there's also that, that personification of those attributes. And in that personification, wisdom talks about being right there with God, being used by God to help create things, help design the world, to bring order to the universe. Once born, a child depends primarily on the woman to know how to help them before they can speak, to help them learn to speak and think. Say please. And to teach them how to behave and care for themselves. Those shoes go on the other feet. And every mom who's raised children has stories to tell about how their kids have dressed themselves, right? We need that help, right? How would any of us know what matches if our moms hadn't helped us with that, right? I have two brothers, one of whom was a little uh, challenged in that area when he was younger. He th- <laughs> <laughs> got people raising their hands going, yeah, me too. Uh, he he liked bright, bold, primary colors, and so when he found something red, it was just red to him. It wasn't reddish-orange or maroon or crimson or fuchsia or mauve or any of those things. It was just red, and so he would wear red shirt, red shorts, red everything, and you would look at it and go, oh, need to change something. Probably the same kind of uh, challenge for the person who named the magenta bud as Oklahoma's state tree because it's not red. (laughs) And I'm a guy and I can tell it's not red. Anyway. Mothers help us learn how to behave, how to know our identity, our place in the family, right? Everyone else's name in the family, that's your grandfather, that's your grandmother, That's an uncle, that's an aunt, this is your cousin so-and-so. And especially, (laughs) help us how to learn how to get along with everyone else. No, you can't hit your brother back. Keep your hands to your own side. Oh, 
You know, it's probably good that women like to use all the words they like to use because as kids, we sure need a lot of words, don't we? The woman is the one the family often looks to for physical nourishment and healing, mental articulation and processing skills, modeling of proper responses to life, to leaders, and to problems. Where men provide structure in the family, the women make it a home, a welcoming, personal, effective place of growth, creativity, diversity, joy, and peace. While man was made in the wilderness, woman was made in the garden where everything was designed to grow. Women are so good at growing things. I think of the Grinnell's property. If you've ever been out to the Grinnell's house, you, you can't not find plants there. They're just, they're all over the place. And I have seen other properties in that area and they don't grow plants like the Grinnell's property grows plants. I've had to trim them, weed eat them, mow them, transplant them, and there's just, there's plants all over the place. It's beautiful. Where would we be without the women to create beauty or organization or the soothing, calming words or music or delicious food day in and day out? Or keeping the clothes clean, the sheets changed, the baseboards scrubbed, the frames dusted, the birthdays and the anniversaries remembered. Will the men remember to see to these things with the same level of concern? Not on your COVID mask, brother. So now let's talk about the temptations, the primary temptations of men and women. Genesis 3 Verse 9, God says, where are you? Verse 13, what have you done? Not because he needs to be informed. He already knows. But Adam and Eve need to see, to say, and to hear said what they've done. God allowed man the freedom to chart his own course in the garden. He allowed man to be a part of the battle that the enemy started and lost in the heavenly realm and tries to continue here on earth. God gave man an opportunity to thwart the enemy, to protect and defend his woman at home. And man failed to act. Man has struggled ever since with the fear of being found out. The temptation to laziness and a lack of confidence in his decisions and abilities. You chat with any man who's lived for any length of time and... He'll mention at least one of those things as a major struggle in his life. That's why we need each other. That's why we need God. We feel our weakness. We know we do not measure up. Thank God we are not the model. Christ is the model, and he won. God has given him a name above every name, all authority in heaven and on earth, power greater than death, sin, and our enemy. And God plans for us men to display Christ, to put him on every day. The woman in the garden was especially targeted by the serpent with the devastating idea that God was holding out on her. 
She believed the lie that she had to take care of herself to gain for herself what God had for her. And ever since, women have struggled with the fear of inadequacy, the risk of trusting God, especially as God works through men, and with a strong desire to control their world and thereby ruin it. Thank God women do not have to depend on themselves alone. Thank God women and men can depend on a loving, powerful, understanding, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, kind of God. Thank God for his kindness, mercy, and forgiveness in our sinfulness, weakness, and waywardness. In the face of our enemy, our world, and our corrupted human nature, man is made to take on the big, the obvious, the immediate. The woman is uniquely equipped to focus on the small, the hidden, and the ongoing, so they will not be neglected. The woman balances the man, each offering their unique strengths, so the family, the church, and the community is doubly strong, doubly equipped, and humbly dependent on each other. So now what? Now that we've reviewed what we probably all knew at least most of already, what do we do with it? Ephesians 5, 22 through 27 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why, that's a challenge. I am not as good as God, never will be. And my wife's supposed to submit to me in the same way. Sorry. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Man's challenge is no less daunting. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy, and without blemish. To do that required everything of Christ. Men, that is us. While the man is called and designed to take responsibility to act on behalf of his dependent family, the woman is called and designed to defer to that responsibility to support, appreciate, and operate under the man's godly leadership, just as the church supports, appreciates, and operates under Christ's leadership as our head and champion. As the man's role is to be faithful in affection, the woman's is to be faithful in belief, to keep hoping, to keep trusting, to keep living as though the victory is already won, even when it looks hopeless circumstantially. Women model our response to Christ which includes worship, petition, trust, listening, obedience, thanksgiving, and delight. That model is so hated by our enemy and so persecuted in our world. It takes a brave woman to be a godly woman. 
Now, every culture that has followed these guidelines, even if they don't follow them perfectly, has had a fairly consistent idea of what constitutes success and failure on the part of both the masculine and feminine members of its society. And while stereotypes usually have exceptions, the exceptions have proven the truth of the rule. Men and women were made to complement each other, to work together in particular ways, to fulfill particular roles, and to reflect a particular God sending a particular message. That message of God's love for his people is the basis for every heroic tale of sacrifice and faithfulness, every tale of devotion and romance, every tale of battle against evil, and every tale of betrayal and weakness. That message from that God is one we cannot escape, no matter how much our enemy drives man to twist, pervert, and mar the telling of the tale. As the players in the ongoing live-action love story in the midst of a war that God is writing, we have a responsibility to fulfill our callings as men and women, for we are not our own. We were bought with a price, and God writes our script. Not history, not pop culture, not circumstances, not feelings, not our flesh, not our government. God is God, and we follow him. And that includes the roles we're called to play in public and private life every day. So, let's get in costume. Put on the makeup, or not. Style the hair, learn the words, the actions. Practice your role so that each day the beauty and strength of God himself will shine out of you undeniably and all around you will be stunned by the truth of who you reflect at the one who created someone like you. A real man, a real woman, telling the real truth from the real God. Join me in prayer. Father, we pray for all the young men that in the midst of all the assaults against their character and their nature that they would find the truth and hold it fast. Pray that our young men would be strong in spirit and determined, that they would learn to be gentle and self-controlled, that they would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and that they would stand firm in the face of evil. We pray for our young women, Lord, that they would delight to be yours. We pray that they would uh, find you in their fathers, that they would learn to trust, that they would learn to be brave enough to trust, that you would guard and protect them, that they would find you providing for them and leading them, and that they would learn how to follow you. We pray, Lord, for husbands and fathers. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the faith to be strong and the strength to be faithful, that we would not give up, give out, or give in as we go to do battle each day, that we would put our hope and our trust firmly in you, that we would look to you for our affirmation, look to you 
to fill us up, that we may have enough and to spare to share with our wives and our children. That we would lead with confidence. That we would love without holding back. That through us, Lord, our wives and children would see you. That they would come to know you better and more easily because of having known us. We pray for wives and for mothers. That in all that is required, all the sacrificing, that they would not grow weary. We pray, Lord, that the wives and mothers would see themselves as your bride, beloved by you above all others. That there would be no guilt, that there would be no fear, that there would be no despair, that as they fix their eyes on you, they would be filled with joy, with quiet confidence, that as they trust in you, that you would lead and guide as a good shepherd. We pray, Lord, for the older men that as leaders, as mentors, as examples and models, that they would not stumble, that they would not fall short of the, of the mark, that you would make them stronger as they walk with you, wiser, more able to teach, more patient, more loving towards their own wives. Lord, that our older men would be shining examples for us to follow. That we would not confuse them with you, but that we would see you shine through them. For the older women, we pray, Lord, that you would guide their words to the younger women. That they would be shining examples of devotion, of submission, of godly obedience and wisdom, of strength and creativity, that they would have the right words at the right time to guide those who seek them out. And that they would continue loving their children just as you love yours. I pray, Lord, that the truth of your character would shine through your people and that our proper response to you would shine through too. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.